When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. I just thank everybody, um, especially when I went through my, my tough time this offseason. It meant a lot, a lot, a lot to me to have the boys rally around me, uh, love on me, and uh, continue to help me grow as a person. So, um, I'm just thanking everybody. Uh, the D-line will go out one last time like we did last year. Um, just recap on the year. Enjoy each other's time. And uh, we'll all stay in touch. This is a really, really close group. And uh, that's it. It stands outside the football season. So. That was new Minnesota Vikings nose tackle. Michael Pierce, Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin will be joined later on in the show by Steve Palazzolo of Pro Football Focus, who is kind of enough to offer us Guests on a daily basis because their people are all working from home and begging for interaction with other humans. So uh, that we're going to be the beneficiaries of that. Uh, Courtney, let's just start out with first reactions to the Michael Pierce signing and then what it means. So give me your take. Three years, $27 million for Linval Joseph's replacement. I think it's a good deal for Pierce. I mean, 27 years old, he's shorter, he's younger, he's got less wear and tear on his body. I mean, he is a Linville Joseph prototype. I mean, you are replacing one with the other. Um, Obviously, Linville has a lot to his pedigree. He's a Super Bowl champion. He'd been in this Vikings defense for six years. Um, So to say that the fit is going to be seamless, to say it's going to be the exact same player. We're going to have to wait to see how that plays out. But I do think there are a ton of similarities between both Pierce and Joseph and and everybody I've spoken with um, about how he's going to fit into this defense. You know, you couldn't find a better replacement, uh, especially for a team that, you know, needs a little bit of help right now in figuring out how to stop the run. I mean, that was Joseph's pedigree for so long, um, and they struggled with it. They were a top 20 run-stopping team last year. So Pierce is a top five run-stopping nose tackle. I think it's a really good fit. Um, And we knew that Joseph, even though that Rick Spielman put that statement out last week, saying that they were going to stay in communication with, uh, you know, both Rhodes uh, and Linville Joseph throughout free agency, it was always apparent to me that he was going to test the market because the Vikings just didn't have enough money to pay him at, at the price he was going to be at in 2020, which is why they had to go the route of releasing him this past uh, Friday. 
and uh, creating some cap space. I mean, he's in a situation now, though, brand new defense. I mean, he got a pretty good deal uh, for, for two years going out to the Chargers. Uh, and, you know, he'll definitely be missed here. But I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to learn a little bit more about Michael Pierce and figure out how they're going to implement him in this scheme. Um, but the one thing that is kind of still a little glaring to me, Matthew, is that you know, I was looking up some of the uh, defensive interior defensive linemen uh, pressure grades and, and stats and just numbers from last year. He and Linville Joseph are nearly identical in that mm-hmm. category. And you know, Mike Zimmer did say that there are ways to, quote, manufacture an interior pass rush, which is what they did in New Orleans. We saw with uh, you know putting their defensive ends uh, inside on third down. But that's still an area this team needs to figure out how they're going to get better at uh, in 2020. But overall, I think it's a good signing. I mean, they haven't done a whole ton in free agency. I mean, you can you can include Kirk Cousins' extension and, and Stephon Diggs and the big movement from Monday. But outside of that and signing guys that were not on their roster last year, this, this is the only one. So there's two different ways that I look at this. On the one hand, there's Michael Pierce, the player, and does he fit? Uh, he is 340 pounds on a very good day, probably a lot more than that. And a run stuffer as good as there are in the NFL. He can clog the middle and play that nose tackle position. And our buddy Jeremiah Searles tweeted me earlier today about how important the nose guard or nose tackle, whichever you want to call it, uh, is in the Mike Zimmer defense. And I totally believe all that. And I think that having that player helps your linebackers and helps your run fits and, and all those sorts of football-y football things. So Michael Pierce, good player, thumbs up to you. Uh, but the three-year $27 million contract for somebody at that position with a team that has literally zero cap space is hard to figure out because it makes you ask, okay, what is next? And why did you fill the position that I would have looked at almost last of all the positions that they need, why did you fill it first? Uh, Maybe because Pierce is available and he's a very good fit, but when I look at some of the other guys and the contracts that they signed, Danny Shelton is a good example of another run-stuffing nose tackle, and he gets a two-year, $8 million deal, and you're giving Michael Pierce... You know, a hell of a lot more than that. And Michael Pierce, when he's good, is the same as Linval Joseph when Joseph was not that good. When Joseph is at his absolute best, he is, you know, elite and he's getting after the passer and all those other things. But Joseph last year, as we saw, did not have a huge impact. And he ends up, um, you know, Pierce ends up being basically graded about the same way. So that that's where I would say I like the player, but the amount of money that's spent uh, is hard to figure out how they're going to work around that. Oh, we lost Courtney. Huh, how about that? Um, so because of coronavirus, um, we are broadcasting from different places and we were disconnected from Courtney. So I just paused for her to jump in. Well, what do you think of that, Courtney? <laughs> Nothing. Wow. Wow. She's giving me the cold shoulder here on this Michael Pierce take. So I I wrote about this for our website today, scorenorth.com, about how they made the move that uh, they could have done last first. And I think the football football people would disagree 
Uh, I'm not sure, Courtney, how much you heard of me going on and on about that. But uh, I think the football people would disagree with my take that this was their last need that they could have filled later on for much cheaper because Michael Pierce is a beast and he's really good at football. So I'm not contesting that at all. It's just the money situation that they're in makes me say, uh, okay, now what? Well, I think that they also probably struck out on the corners that they were trying to go after in free agency, the ones that were available were just too expensive. So, yes, they could have addressed this in the draft. I'm with you there. I think that that would have been, you know, an easy way to to try to figure out what you're going to do at that nose tackle spot because you do have Jaleel Johnson, you do have Armand Watts, uh, where you're going to play Jalen Holmes. I mean, you had guys waiting in the wings you probably could have gotten by by rotating, which we've seen them do a lot more in the last two years. But, you know... To me, this kind of signifies that things people have not been agreeing to the terms that have been presented to them or maybe just saying, no, thanks, we'll pass mm-hmm. um, for some of the offers. I mean, there's a reason that guys like Jadavian Clowney are still out there right now because they're asking for too much. Um, and I think what the Vikings have done, at least in, in what they've prioritized from what I've heard behind the scenes, if they had that type of money, and I throw out Clowney just as an example because he's asking for the world, they would have gone after a top corner, um, which leads me to believe that that's been what they've been trying to do behind the scenes. And when they couldn't get that, it's, hey, we have to do something here to try to fix an immediate need on the defensive line, or at least what they believe to be, because they needed to stop the run better. They've really struggled at that uh, in 2020, in 2019. So, I mean, this addresses it right now, but there will be those who say, but what about the interior pass rush? Well, what about the overall play of the defensive line? I mean, this fixes one thing, I think, right away, when you look at how good Pierce has been against the run uh, in previous seasons, and you have a higher ceiling in a player like him because he is younger, he has less wear and tear on his body than uh, Linville Joseph did, but it still leaves you with a multitude of needs. And at this rate, as things are kind of slowing down here, kind of wondering, all right, well, how are all the pieces going to fall into place? Yeah, that's right. That's where I'm at with this. And no doubt it's a position of need. And I think it's, uh, uh, in a way, like you, it would be smart if they were chasing after top corners, but they just don't have the money for it. And when Trey Waynes is getting, what is it, like $14 million, $14 million. a year? Yeah, yeah, then it's pretty hard to afford uh, any of the top corners. But at the same time, when you know, you're, t- you're talking about uh, a nose tackle, it feels like one of those positions where you could wait till later on, second, third week, and see if anybody falls because the other players at that position just don't make this type of money unless they impact the pass. And the thing about Michael Pierce over the last few years, the guy just doesn't even play that much. Like, yeah, that's the hard thing. When you're going back to look at the pass rushing numbers uh, and where he falls in that, you have to go, if you if you look at pro football focus and you try to figure out you know where he falls in that, you have to go to a minimum of 20% out of the 573 yes, pass rushing right. snaps. Like He is at the very, very low end of it. That's a Linville Joseph type, so... That's um, That leads me to believe they're going to kind of have to do what they did last year. And, and in previous seasons, as we saw Linville's snaps decline, I mean, Mike Zimmer talked about, you know, in ways limiting his playing time just because that's what you were getting when he was getting on the other side of 30, that it wasn't sustainable. Um, so you're not replacing it with a nose tackle that can be in there 70% of the time. Like, you, you're replacing it with someone who's very much – 
like Linville Joseph in that sense. Right. So why are you paying him like someone who's going to play all the time? That That's my issue. And so now you have, when we are dealing with the smallest of margins with cap space, you have two players in Shamar Stefan and Michael Pierce who do not make any impact whatsoever in the pass rush game who are taking up over $10 million in cap space. And some other teams have signed players like Malik Collins or Jason Hargrove that were top interior rushers and Hargrove, I think, made $39 million over three years. I haven't seen the details on Malik Collins' deal with the Raiders yet, but those are the guys that I would have been looking at. I think it sort of speaks back to the Mike Zimmer is really, really focused on being able to run and stop the run, which... I I, I, I will stand up for the run game and for fullbacks and for being able to just ground and pound when you need to. It was uh, great to watch when San Francisco just ran all over the Green Bay Packers. It was like, yes, old school football, let's go. So I would not say that running isn't important at all and stopping the run isn't important at all. It's just that passing and stopping the pass are so much more important, and you just signed a a very expensive guy who doesn't do any of that to go along with your other guy who still has a pretty decent size cap hit who also doesn't do any of that for your interior. And I just wonder, are you going in the right direction for what is going to win in the NFL? Because your offensive side has kind of gone against that, and that might be the reason you don't have Stephon Diggs anymore. And your defensive first signing is something that goes against that too. Would you say it's, I don't want to use the word panicked, but do you feel like that's kind of what this move reflects? Because they're probably seeing guys fly off the board or at least you know their free agent board and all of that. Um, do you think that they saw this as, well, hey, this is our window. We've got to do something because it was a need last year. They were not great against the run like they had been in previous years. Like We saw the de- deterioration um, of their run defense, and a lot of it started up front. I mean, certainly Eric Kendricks was very, very good, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of the reason he's been good in years past, um, I'm not taking anything away from him, but it does benefit him to have Linville Joseph playing in front of him. Like, oh, for that, sure, That yeah. just is what it is, but... Do you see this as a situation where they're like, well, we've got we've got so many needs right now. We got to fix one of them. We might as well go this route. But I'm with you because we talked to Mike Zimmer about this at the combine. Thought, hey, do you need to get any more interior pass rushers? And he never mentioned nose tackle by name. He's like, yeah, we're always looking for three techniques. I mean, well. Where are you going to find those guys? I mean, because you, you already spent the money on Michael Pierce. You already have Shamar Stefan next to him. You're not going to be, you know, unless you're unless you're looking towards the draft to, to maybe bring another one of those guys in, okay. But in the meantime, how are you going to address that in terms of what you're going to do with your pass rush? Because you can't just rely on your defensive ends always going inside. You cannot rely and say Afadi Odenabo is going to be that answer to situationally kind of what Stephen Weatherly did last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's one way to solve it, but I don't know if that's a long-term thing. And maybe um, they're not looking for that, but to me, I don't want to use the word panicked, but it kind of feels like, well, they needed to get this move done. Why not? Real quick, we have some uh, Vikings breaking news that they have agreed to a contract with kicker Dan Bailey. So yes. that is about the most obvious of moves that we could all support. Nobody is going to debate signing a kicker who made 93% of his kicks last year. So they bring back the battery um, of him and Britton Colquitt that were very effective. And that is a great way to sustain your excellent kicking is bringing back one of the best kickers in history. So good job there. Um, back to what you're saying. Yeah, panicked is definitely a way to put it. 
Like, we need to fill one of these spots, and, oh, this guy will take our contract, so let's just get this done and then move forward. Um, now, I want to talk about what it means to move forward in just a second here, but I just ran this. So Arif Hassan of The Athletic wrote a piece about how Zimmer's focus is trying to set other teams up on third and long so he can use all of his situational pass rushers, which is a great strategy and has worked very effectively for Zimmer. It's been incredible on third downs over the last few years with a lot of talent rushing the passer too, but you can scheme pressures on third downs. Um, but the issue here is that uh, I just ran the numbers on this. Last year on first down, teams still threw the ball 48% of the time on first down. Mm-hmm. So if you have Shamar Stefan and Michael Pierce in on first down and the opposing team throws on first down, that I mean, that's almost a 50-50 split. So half the time, they're giving you nothing at two positions. For $10 million. I know, and that's the thing that I, I struggle to comprehend, that ever since Sheldon Richardson left, they have not been able to, you know, generate that production any other way. Like, I know what Mike Zimmer said about being able to manufacture it. Well, they, they really haven't on a consistent basis, and I don't know how you do that more often in 2020, given the personnel that you do have. Yep, uh, and I just saw a tweet from um, Sam Monson kind of laying some of this out about the overall direction, and he tweets, you know, they extend a flawed quarterback, the fullback, the punter, the kicker, um, franchise tag to trade their best defensive back, trade their best wide receiver, and let most of the secondary and defensive line walk. I mean, yeah. so they are in a position where I assume that Rick tells us all the time that they have a plan, so I assume that they have a plan. I just am having a tough time seeing it. Like, what? what is it? Is it? And if the plan is to fill a couple of spots with good players who are high character or whatever and, and can have a role and do things and whatever, and then draft a heck of a lot of human beings to put in and have all those young players be the next wave that start to really show up in 2021, I can get behind that. I could definitely get behind that. But if you were going to try to win in 2020 and make all these sort of uh, under-the-radar or clever signings to fill the positions, Mm -hmm. sure, I mean, that could be done, and you could support that. It's just right now, neither direction seems to be fully going that way. Well, when you asked me about this earlier in the week, and I know I was defending my take that how could they possibly be in rebuild mode, um, especially after the contract that they gave Kirk Cousins, the optics do not match up. Like You don't pay a quarterback like that if you're just planning to play 2020 out and and kind of burn it down and start all over. Now, they're going to have a hard time defending that if they cannot get, if they're not already in the works and we just don't know about it yet, for a big trade to either upgrade the offensive line, maybe they're trying to bring in a corner, who knows what they're doing you know, with the wide receiver position. That, to me, feels like they're going to address that in the draft. I don't think mm-hmm. they need to go yep. after Robbie Anderson or Emmanuel Sanders at this point. That's, you know, there's money to be spent elsewhere. But... Um, they they've got to be able to prove in many ways that you know they're not this whole thing doesn't reflect a team that you know has kind of fallen flat ever since giving Kirk Cousins a big contract extension on Monday like you know if they still want to stay competitive they've got to make the moves that will allow them to do so now now this obviously helps like we've talked about it helps you run defense because that's been a problem but this is a passing league, and that's one area that they have really struggled with, especially on the interior. I mean, Shamar Stefan is not known for that. I mean, they knew that when they signed him last year. Like, they have had such a problem generating that push from that three-technique position. 
and they couldn't afford Sheldon Richardson another season. So I, I don't know how they're going to maintain that unless they think that they're just going to get some other guys in the draft and just throw everybody in there on a rotational basis. Well, good luck to you. I mean, that's that's hard. Um, but you know, if you can do it, I guess enough of the time, then you're in a good, then you could be in an okay spot. But the uh, it just feels like this is almost like kind of like a. It, incomplete signing in a way if that makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah well if and if you can't create the pressure by rotating people you're going to be in a really tough spot i mean if you have um you know afadi adenabo taking on a full-time role it's not clear that he can actually do that and be successful and the chances that he can do that the way that everson griffin did are very low and uh tell me if you know the latest on everson griffin because it feels like we're inching farther toward him Testing not the market, back. not coming yeah, back. Yeah, I mean, I, I had spoken with some sources close to the situation yesterday who at least had, like, a pulse on what's going on. Um, I've been told Griffin wants to be back in Minnesota. Now, will he? I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with what the numbers are going to present. I mean, certainly we've seen Mackenzie Alexander's deal, $4 million for, for what he's going to be able to, you know, potentially do to set himself up to hit free agency again at age 27. Um, I wouldn't call that a prove-it deal. I, I, I just feel like that's a deal to get him away from Minnesota. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know exactly what the Vikings offered, but I do know that you know there was an effort to keep him here, but he wanted to go elsewhere. And... Um, you know, I just, I think with Griffin, the situation, don't expect something necessarily right now. Like he, he has a right to slow play this and try to figure out what the market's going to be. I mean, we're not going anywhere right now. Anyways, teams know that, you know, they have to set up physicals and this is going to be a long process of getting guys actually signed in free agency. So it kind of feels like it's trending that way more and more. But I would definitely not rule out a return to the Vikings after, you know, if he does test the market, finds out it's not going to be that great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think you have to take what Mike Zimmer said at the Combine with a grain of salt that he expects him to be back. I don't know if that's just kind of the Vikings trying to force their hand and say, hey, this is the best situation for you. Yeah. But, um, you know, I know that fans are, are like, why haven't we heard any news yet? Like, why why are all of our free agents leaving and, and we're not getting any back? Well, you know, it's a situation you're in with a tight cap. I mean, Trey Waynes, they were never going to be able to afford him. Like, I know the $14 million figure that's out there. It was the Thursday before the combine. I was speaking with somebody who, you know, kind of made, kind of indicated that there was another team, an AFC West team, that was willing to go 16 for him. And obviously he didn't sign there, but... These players, these defensive players that are able to test the market, they're going to go where the money is oh, more of course, times yeah. than not. And you can't fault them for that. So that could be where Everson Griffin goes. He could also end up just saying, hey, this is the right fit. I'm going to stick around and, and try to prolong my career another year or two. But if I'm another team, especially if I'm playing the Vikings next year and I know who they oh, I'm have throw, to tackle. I'm throwing the ball. Yes. I'm throwing the ball all the time. Well, but I'm also, but I'm also throwing money at Everson Griffin. Like that that's what I'm doing. If I'm another team and I'm playing the Vikings and Riley Reef is their left tackle, I'm saying get me Everson Griffin, spend some cash. If I'm the Seattle Seahawks and I have Pete Carroll who has a relationship with Everson Griffin, I'm calling up Everson's people and saying one year, 14 mil, or whatever it might be, we'll fit you under our cap. We'll figure this out. We want to beat that Vikings offer because even though he was not the best player in the league last year, the man is a monster. And one thing you would love to have is him being 
uber motivated, one of the most motivated players you'll ever come across, but even ramped up more to face the Vikings at some point. So, you know, I, I think when you look at these other guys who have signed who are inferior to Everson Griffin, there's a great case for someone to give him a one-year deal and maybe do the same thing that you know Sheldon Richardson did here, where if Griffin plays really well, he might be able to get a multi-year deal. We've seen a lot of defensive ends go into their late 30s that are really, really good. Like, you know, Julius Peppers was great. And uh, who was the guy? Justin Houston from Kansas City goes to, um, what was it, Indianapolis and still played extremely well. If I'm another team, I'm saying let's outbid the Vikings on everything because they don't have enough to keep up. Um, so let's let's take a break and talk about the two guys from the secondary who signed with other teams today because uh, it, you know, in a bubble, it's like, okay, that guy's gone, no big deal, that guy's gone, they didn't really use him that much. But there's something else to be said here about the exits of J. Ron Curse and Mackenzie Alexander, and we'll talk about those when we return. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin, you're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Hey, Score North listeners, it's Phil Mackey here for Federated Mutual Insurance Company, which is here to give business owners that peace of mind that you need When you've built a company with your blood, your sweat, your tears, maybe not your blood, but whatever, like you built a company and you want your insurance team to be ready with a game plan that helps you recover, if needed, recover smoothly so you can get on with running your business. Federated has a century of experience in helping business owners. You can find out more about the industries Federated protects at their website, federatedinsurance.com. And remember, Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Listen and win with the free Score North mobile app. Prizes up for grabs this month include MLB The Show 20 for PS4 with all updated batting, fielding, and pitching. MLB The Show 20 on PS4 includes full minor league rosters. Get it now at theshow.com or win it with the free Score North app. Just download the Score North app, register your app, and you could be a winner. And uh, going off something you guys were talking about in that first segment, Matthew Collar, Corbin Smith from Sports Illustrated tweeted out, Everson Griffin will be the Seahawks' primary fallback option if Jadavian Clowney opts to take more money signing with another team. Two other names to watch per sources are Jabal Sheard and Benson Mayowa, who started his career in Seattle. So, just letting you know. And uh, Armando Salguero, who is a Miami Herald columnist, tweeted this, It's about to get real. Oh? Oh! Oh? Oh? What's that mean? Are they drafting Tua right now? What? <laughs> I don't know. They just move the draft up. They're like, why as well? Free agency is basically over. If I got a guess, I'm going to say that he is traded, that Todd Gurley is traded to the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, I mean, today isn't today something that kicks in with his contract? Because today is the, well, no, today's not the third day of the league. They have a right? half hour to decide what to do with him. That's right. That's right. So by, Jared, Jared Goff, a lot of his salary became guaranteed today. And I think that's the deal year. with Gurley, that he gets a lot of guaranteed money if he makes it till 4 o'clock Eastern or 3 o'clock Central, for all of you who have trouble with that, um, it, which is a half hour from now. So it's very likely that he gets traded. Miami has a bleep ton of cap room still after signing a bunch of people uh, to do kind of whatever they want. So in a way, even though I think Todd Gurley goes in the same graveyard as lots of other running back contracts. It makes sense for the Miami Dolphins because even if the contract goes bust, they're probably going to draft Tua or Justin Herbert or somebody else, and they're going to be in that great situation of having a rookie quarterback contract where they can make mistakes or spend wildly, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, 
they they put themselves in this position for a while. I mean, it it takes mm-hmm. work to tank in, yes, in a does. way to put yourself in a situation where you're going to have good draft capital. You're also going to have cap space. So you're unloading big contracts, which they've been doing for the last few years. Um, so now that they can be now that they can go be active and get who they want as they build towards a new vision, the Brian Flores's vision, um, and that's something that. You know, as we look towards the draft too, and how many picks they have, they're they're in a situation that kind of feels similar to Minnesota. Correct me if I'm wrong, just given the amount of draft capital they have, but also might they be spending some of that draft capital in free agency still? Because there are a lot of good free agents out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me see. I'm trying to figure out if uh, OverTheCap.com, the cap website, has everyone updated. Uh, looks like they do. So the Dolphins have. Still, after signing Byron Jones and a few other players, still $47 million in cap space to spend. So they could afford to overpay and end up getting, uh, you know, Todd Gurley in a trade if they want to. That has not happened yet. It just appears that he's going to be traded or released pretty soon. Uh, now, today, a couple other free agent things that happened pertaining to the Vikings. Mackenzie Alexander signs with the Cincinnati Bengals and J. Ron Curse signs with the Detroit Lions. Now, without you know going too deep into their talent level, we could say that those losses are not irreplaceable for what Mackenzie Alexander and J. Ron Curse brought to the defense. But the bigger picture here is that Mackenzie Alexander signed about the most reasonable contract with the Cincinnati Bengals, one year and $4 million. And J. Ron Curse signed a one-year, I think, $2.75 million contract with Detroit. Those are deals that the Minnesota Vikings could really use on their defense. But those are two players that either Mike Zimmer didn't get along with or were disgruntled on their way out the door. And it sounds like uh, from several reports that the Vikings were interested in bringing back Alexander, and he was not interested in coming back Mm -hmm. to Minnesota. And so we have Stefan Diggs is traded because he's unhappy with the direction, which stems from the head coach's edict to run the ball. And we have two value players who are good at football, who gave a lot to the defense over the last two years. Even J-Ron, when he was filling in, remember the Denver sure. game, he kind of wins that um, by himself at the end on that yes. final drive and, guarding and Noah week, Fan. The week before, too, with uh, Dallas. And when he had to play against Green Bay at Green Bay, He played very well there, too. So a guy with a good amount of talent and both of them decide that they're going to sign in other places. And it just feels like a couple of years ago, we were talking about how everybody wants to be here. They're all signing team friendly deals. And going back to last offseason, Kyle Rudolph, remember him saying, there's a lot of other teams I could play for if this team won't sign me. That attitude, I think, has been much more pervasive over the last year and a half than what we saw coming off of 2017 where everybody wanted to sign team-friendly deals. Well, I think that you can also bring it back to the front office and you know inside that building with Kevin Stefanski being able to walk out of it. Um, as you and I have talked about, it's no secret that there were a handful of people, probably even more than that, um, that were hoping that Kevin Stefanski would stay here and be the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, that if things were to turn out differently and they lose that game against the Saints, maybe Mike Zimmer is in Dallas mm-hmm. and Kevin Stefanski is a head coach of the Minnesota Vikings and the direction of this team is different. You bring up a very valid point there and it's no slight on Mike Zimmer. I mean, he is 
you know, third winningest coach in franchise history. He's taken his team to the playoffs every other year that he's been here for the last six seasons. But I don't think it's speculation by any stretch to think that these players, the ones who, you know, decided to take very comparable deals probably to what Minnesota was offering them or could offer them uh, and go somewhere else for a fresh start. Like, Mackenzie Alexander, and, you know, this is a weird situation. So he has a knee injury going into that Week 17 game against the Bears. Now, that Saturday before the game, we find out that Sunday would be meaningless because the Vikings had already clinched because the Rams had lost. Um, Alexander has to play that game, and I'm pretty sure he played the majority of it because he had a knee injury that required him to miss the playoffs. He, you know, had to undergo surgery for his meniscus, um, and, you know, he got hurt. Like, that's just what I don't understand here. Like, why they threw him out there in that situation for a game that meant literally nothing. Mm -hmm. And then you were scrambling with your cornerback depth, um, and you had to have Andrew Sandejo play in the slot in New Orleans, which obviously he did a good job, but... You shouldn't have been in that spot because he shouldn't have been playing. Right. And that, to me, I think was a very big point of frustration for McKenzie and and obviously played into his decision to not come back here. Now, people I had spoke with behind the scenes and trying to gauge, like, you know, was Mac wanting to come back? What, you know, what would the deal have been? Where What could he have earned? I mean, a $4 million deal for what he got from Cincinnati, who has uber bucks to spend, mm-hmm. and that's what exactly what they're doing. Um, that's a cheap, 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 Very cheap discount. Cheap. Like, you know, if you want to call it a prove-it deal, I guess you can. Um, you know, he, he's already, at least in my mind, I think, some, I think there was a little bit of speculation and maybe some uncertainty about the knee injury, even though he had been cleared. Maybe that's why he couldn't get a higher figure um, from other teams. But, you know, he has a chance now to hit free agency again at age 27. And if he has a good year this year, go make even more money on top of that. But, you know... What does this say about the culture that we have right now where it kind of feels like guys are unloading themselves and not wanting to stay around? Yes, I exactly agree with everything you said there. And this Alexander signing for Cincinnati, I might call it the best signing of the offseason so far. For a starting nickel cornerback who played over 500 snaps the last two years, gave up in total for his career an 87 quarterback rating against, and the last two years throws against him, average yards per catch was under 10, which is very good, solidly graded, especially as a tackler, but still solid in coverage by Pro Football Focus, and a guy that you and I saw develop into a respectable nickel corner over the last year and a half. He is Definitely not a superstar. You're not talking about Chris Harris here, but you are talking about a starting caliber player. And I'll give you a a stat that I dug up for the article I wrote about Michael Pierce, that Mackenzie Alexander in 2017 was worth as much wins above replacement as Michael Pierce's last three seasons. So... And for $4 million, as opposed to for 27 that they're giving a nose tackle. And, And that tells you what the value of nickel corners in today's game is when you're playing... Two-thirds of the snaps, if not more than that, depending on the opponent. But teams that throw a lot, you're playing every single down. And in that Week 17 game, it was flat-out 
perplexing. 50 snaps when he already had a knee injury mm-hmm. for while well, every other starter sat on the sideline and watched. Xavier Rhodes had the worst year you could possibly have, and he didn't play in that game. And he was already part of a defensive back rotation because he had been so poor, and he's sitting on the sideline having a good time while Mackenzie Alexander, in this glorified preseason game, had to go out and play 50 snaps. And if I'm Alexander, I'm not coming back either. And I don't really understand that move at all. And it's not the first time by any means where we've been talking about Zimmer's relationship with his players. I mean, even going back to 2016, at the end of 2016, where the cornerbacks decide to kind of do their own thing, and we all had a bunch of funny names for it, uh, but, you know, going rogue and things like that. But it, it sort of showed you a little bit that when things have gotten hairy at times, that he has trouble keeping everybody on the same page with him. And we even saw, you know, speaking of nickel corners, um, Captain Munderland was frustrated at the end of his time in Minnesota, and he left for free agency after being a solid player, too. And I wouldn't go as far to try and over-dramatize it and say lost the locker room or anything like that, but I think that in terms of player happiness, I don't know how much of a modern gamer you are, Courtney. I know you used to play N64 um, because we have uh, battled each other on N64, but... There's this thing on modern games that has like locker room happiness, player happiness on the NBA 2K basketball games. And coming out of 2017, it would have been full. It would have been 98%. Now, what is it? I mean, is yeah. it is it 40% approval rating for the head coach? If you're talking about top to bottom in the organization, is it less than that? Is it maybe a little more? I don't know. There's a lot of things. I came away from the combine, especially feeling like there's a lot of things that point toward frustration with that area of the team. Yeah, and I think with McKenzie, you need to take it a step further, too. They signed him as a nickel corner in for the Bengals. Like That's one thing that we know. Because um, he, if he was going to be an outside corner, he would have had, I think, a much bigger deal, uh, just given what the market is and, and what guys have already made. Mm-hmm. But yep. that's something that he fought in Minnesota for for a long time, and he finally grasped onto it last season, the 2018 season, and, you know, was pretty darn good. And then this year, he was really good. You know, all things considered, it took him a lot longer, I think, than most guys to finally buy in. But that's something that, you know, since day one, he and Mike Zimmer were bucking heads over because he was, you know, such a shutdown corner and such a physical player at Clemson that, you know, he was drafted and brought in here to play a role that he didn't want to play. So I think you have to factor that into it, too, where, you know, it's a blessing and a curse in a way for the Vikings. I mean, they got good production out of him once he finally bought in, but now he's going to go be that same productive player, we think, on another team. So, you know, the Vikings had a lot of issues last year with their pass defense, no doubt about that whatsoever. Maybe a change uh, in philosophy. Obviously, you see Jerry Gray leave the Vikings, and he goes to Green Bay to be their defensive backs coach, and the Vikings bring in some new mindset um, with a lot of different changes on the defensive staff this offseason. So maybe a fresh start with their cornerback group is what they what they were angling for all along, despite the fact that Mike Zimmer kind of scoffed at the notion. Like, you know, he wasn't really anticipating it when we asked him at the Combine about an entire new group of starting corners. But how could you not, just given all of the factors that lined up to this for so long, on top of the fact that your finances were as tight as they were? Um, this felt inevitable when you look back at it in hindsight. And now they have no nickel corner whatsoever, which you can 
find another one because I think the yeah. league undervalues nickel corner still, and McKenzie's deal shows you that, that he's worth way more than that, especially if he's going to play 60 or 70% of the total snaps. And teams throw in the middle of the field constantly in the NFL, and that's where your nickel corner is often asked to operate. And one area where I thought he turned out to be very good in his second full season as the nickel spot was at tackling, that he got to be a really good run defender. And that's where... Uh, that's going to be hard to replace. So even though you know we saw at times teams be able to take advantage of Alexander and Trey Waynes, both of them were great tacklers, and it, it sort of raised the level of their value overall, even if they had some flaws in other areas. And there aren't that many corners out there who are really good at that. So now I guess my question for you, Courtney, is is what's next here with this secondary? Because it's got to be new players outside of Mike Hughes. I don't know what to tell you on Holton Hill. We'll see. And the guy last offseason gets suspended for eight games, but now can smoke his weed. So, you know. Well, he you know. won't get suspended for games for it. He might face team violations because they've been, you know. They still can't. get to test, right? I think so. You just don't yes. get. You just don't miss game time for it. Yeah. But they've been handholding him for this, just being like, "Dude, just stay clean during the season." Yeah. My God, it's not that <laughs> difficult. Like you know, team. The team took a flyer on him to begin with, but he has a lot of talent. Um, you know where Holton slots in. I think it's easier in a way to put him. You know, we don't know, we don't know where Mike Hughes is going to play. Like he could end up being your nickel corner. Yeah. Don't you yep. remember when McKenzie had? I think it was a foot or an ankle injury in 2018. Hughes started the season, you know, looking pretty good. And Mike Zimmer never praises rookie corners. The 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 discourse and the conversation and the words that Zimmer used to describe Mike Hughes that year, we've never heard. Uh, from even either other first round picks, Xavier Rhodes, Trey Waynes. Um, Zimmer never talked about those guys in such a glowing manner that he did for Mike Hughes, which you always wonder what if. Maybe that'll be one of your next, um, <laughs> one of your next, will be a shortened what if since he's on the team and he's not going anywhere right now. But, you know, how good he would have been that rookie season had he not torn his ACL. But, they're lucky because that position flexibility could allow them to maybe go get an outside corner yep. in yep. free agency if they want to. I still think that you you use a high draft pick on that, but I'm with you. There are some veteran guys out there. Isn't isn't Nicole Nicole Roby uh, Coleman still out there yeah. too? Yeah, Roby like, Roby Coleman. They did not pick up his option because yeah. the Rams put themselves in horrible cap situation too by trying to go all in a second time when they really shouldn't have by trading for Jalen Ramsey and and signing a bunch of other players. So, yeah, no, I I think they can get, if I'm looking at it um, from how can you spend the least money to get the most value, sign a a nickel corner, because if you sign a nickel corner, he's probably going to cost less. And then you can have Hughes on the outside, Holton Hill, and maybe a first-round draft pick on the other side. It's not sky is falling necessarily, but it's... Are you going to be really as good as you've been for the last few years? That's hard to see, and it, it's probably going to take a year in order for you to get everybody on the same page and playing as well as the other guys were. Even if they didn't play at a super, super high level last season, it still was a bunch of guys who all knew the defense to a T sure. um, and had been there for a long time. Todd Gurley released by the Rams, so there is not a great day for uh, running back contracts which I guess we should take this opportunity to discuss. Do you have a follow-up on the secondary? Like, what do you think their direction will be? Well, we know, and we've talked to Mike Zimmer about this before, like, cornerback is a hard position because you play it differently in the NFL. You can you get away with less grabbing and jamming guys at the line of scrimmage. Like, 
college game allows you to get away with a lot more, uh, which I think is why the transition can be so difficult for so many guys as as they transition from their junior or senior year at university to you know the first year in the NFL, their rookie season. So to anticipate that, hey, they go draft. Let's just say, let's just say for for. Blanks and giggles. They go get Trayvon Diggs or or Christian Fulton or anybody else, any of those late first-round corners that they could get at 22 or 25, Mm -hmm. assuming they don't trade up. Do you really think that he's that player is going to be able to step in right away and and be flawless and you know be exactly what you need? I mean, no, unlikely. It's unlikely. I think Mike Hughes, honestly, it's the biggest unknown from for the defense in the last few years. We don't know how good he would have been because he was looking pretty darn good early on. I mean, he still had, you know, was working through the growing pains of being a rookie and all that. But that was that was really a nice, you know, a nice change of pace for a position that usually takes three years to develop, just the same way it did with Xavier Rhodes and Trey Waynes. Now. As you look forward, like, I mean, can you really anticipate that the pass defense is going to be that much better if you do have a rookie outside corner? I don't think that's fair to go ahead and say, well, yeah, they'll assess it in the draft. It'll be fine. I mean, I think you do have to assess it in the draft, but have realistic expectations for how it's going to play out. Yeah, for for year one, of course. And then by year two, year three, you feel like you'll be in pretty good spot, but... As it pertains to how good you're going to be next year, I'm just having a really tough time figuring out how you replace all the snaps even that you had taken. And then someone like Alexander, you know, we can sit here and talk about how, well, Alexander wasn't a superstar, Trey Waynes wasn't a superstar, and Rhodes was poor, but uh, you still have to play at an average level to be reasonably good at that position. Even if you get good safety play, and I'm not sure what's going to happen with Anthony Harris, a trade kind of seems inevitable. So now you're talking about two average players, which give you positive value by being average, and then a great player in Anthony Harris, who was well, well above average, if not one of the best in the league last year, and it just doesn't seem like you can snap your fingers and all of a sudden replace all that, even if... Even if, like, best-case scenario, a rookie comes in and is decent. Mm Best-case scenario, Hughes stays healthy for a whole year, and then we figure out if he's any good. Best-case scenario, somebody else plays as well as Anderson Deho did once upon a time across from Harrison Smith. Right? Like, those are all best-case scenarios for 2020. So replacing all these players for the future beyond that, you have a good chance of it turning out quite well for you. But for next year, that makes it hard. Yeah, and I mean, let's let's stop with it. Let's go back to Anthony Harris for a second. How can they allow him to to leave via trade at this rate? You know, given all that you have to do with your cornerback group, and you know how much those safeties played a role in trying to mitigate some of the holes in the pass defense. How can you allow him to walk out the door and trade him to somewhere else when, you know, do you need another uncertain position in the secondary? Do you want to have one person back there in Harrison Smith who has a clue what's going on, who actually played meaningful snaps last year? I mean, that's that's tough to stomach when you think about it. This is where the trade Harrison Smith idea, it won't happen, but it makes sense. If you're going to rebuild the whole thing, rebuild the whole thing and get a first-round pick for it. Have three first-round picks. Not the worst idea, but it won't happen. No, I mean, at right. This rate, yeah, like, because at that at that rate, you really are rebuilding, and they are remaining firm that they're not. So mm. I don't know how you get around that. Yeah, I, it just on a pure level of let's pretend they're all just sort of numbers and values and things like that, uh, and ages. 
it makes more sense to keep Anthony Harris than it does Harrison Smith. But if you believe you're going to win in 2020, which again is hard to see if you're rebuilding your whole secondary, and that's kind of important in the NFL. Like, let's not forget that the San Francisco 49ers had the best or second best pass defense, I think best in the NFC of the entire NFL. Like, mm-hmm. so that's uh, one of the, the, the key points is that I'll have to look it up, whether they were first or second, but they're an elite, if not. Uh, the best team in the entire league at pass defense. And you got guys who can't rush the passer in the middle. Everson Griffin might sign with the Seahawks. No defensive backs to stop uh, that are proven that we know are going to stop opposing teams' passing game. And then you're still in for 2020. Mm-hmm. If those things don't match up. There's definitely a road that they could take that's a, that's a smart one to being very good with uh, these positions in not that far of the future if they're smart about it. And I think the smart move is to move on from Harrison Smith and say, it was wonderful, you're incredible, you'll probably make the Hall of Fame, or at least that's on the table, yeah. but thanks for your time, which is what they're doing with some other players here. Uh, before we get to the break, though, i got to ask you about Todd Gurley here and how it relates to Delvin Cook. Does this change the mindset at all to see this offseason? David Johnson traded and everyone's yeah. laughing at it. Todd Gurley and uh, Devontae Freeman sound, uh, signed a huge contract and he got released. Yeah, I mean, it. it's something you need to put on the table when you talk about the whole situation with running back second contracts and the type of extension that Cook could get. To me, when you sign Kirk to that deal, it feels like down the road and shortly thereafter down like after doing that down the road as in soon they would have to extend Dalvin Cook because you can't risk him holding out when you just sign Kirk and you say hey we're still in win now mode I mean the optics of that would look terrible um how does this affect him well we know that Gurley has a degenerative knee like we don't Dalvin doesn't have any degenerative body parts that we know of I mean that that is something with Todd Gurley that the What's that? No, I'm sorry. You have I, a degenerative I just said too? same. I, not that I know of. I don't think I have anything degenerative. I don't think I do either, but mm. that's, um, you know, I'm not getting paid on my second contract yet. So, <laughs> um, But no, I think this is something that definitely comes into the negotiation period that, you know, look at all these contracts, look at how these guys panned out. And now, look, none of them are on their team yet, are on their teams anymore. So, you know, but I think the David Johnson situation is totally different and isolated because they gave him that deal in 2018. And even when he was, quote unquote, healthy coming back last year, they still went to running back by committee. He has not been the same since the, I think he had a wrist injury, but he Mm -hmm. also had the knee injury. He has not been the same player. Like, Dalvin came back from injuries and looked like a different player, looked like a better player. So I think that you could argue it that way. Todd Gurley has not looked the same since the knee started to deteriorate the Super Bowl year. So, um, I mean, Dalvin at least has the health aspect that he has less touches, less mileage, less wear and tear in his body to where you could extend him now to where at the point that those guys got their extensions, they had far more mileage. Um and at least it's, that's the one thing that benefits him. Right, which is sort of funny to say because the reason he has less mileage is because he's because hurt. because he got hurt. Yeah, I know, <laughs> right. I know. What a, what a um, conundrum. Melvin Gordon also can't find work at this point and will probably sign a one-year deal. Um, it, it, it makes it a lot harder from the negotiating side of Delvin Cook, but what makes it easier for Delvin Cook is um, you just got rid of Stephon Diggs. So who's yep. the centerpiece of your offense now? Thielen is, is a great player, of course. Uh, and Irv Smith has the potential to be a very, very good player. But the reason Diggs is gone is because you wouldn't 
acquiesce to what he wanted, which was to throw him the ball all the time, which just as a side note was probably a good idea. And so you've said, you've basically, by doing that, said, Delvin, you're the centerpiece of our offense. So even though the outside world is cutting running backs and running away from them screaming, mm-hmm. you're in a position where you have to pay yours, I think. Yeah. Oh, a thousand percent, because... Look at how much the offense changed, even though and I know that people are going to argue with me about this, but it's always been since he's been healthy and since he's been back. It's been the offense of it's been Dalvin's offense. I mean, Mm -hmm. Kirk Kirk needs that and and he needs a strong running game to be successful. He needs other pieces to be successful. But it even amplifies that further when Stefan Diggs is gone. It becomes even more the Minnesota fighting Dalvins than <laughs> it did in the years pa- in years past. I mean, they don't have a choice because you risk a holdout, you risk him not showing up. I mean, who knows when training camp's going to happen at this rate, but they have to figure that one out. I know that Rick Spielman had mentioned at the Combine before our world turned upside down that they typically don't do extensions until after the draft. Well, maybe that changes now in the climate that we're at, and at least just to give the Vikings some sense of security. But then again, if you extend him now, I mean, that's not going to help your cap situation by any means because he was on going into the fourth year of his rookie deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's talk with Steve Palazzolo about all of this. Uh, basically whatever we want. I mean, there's so much going on right now with Todd Gurley being released and the yeah. Vikings having no defensive players. And uh, so a lot to get to here. And, oh, by the way, it was just yesterday that Tom Brady officially signed with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, so, <laughs> you know, like Weird uh, week. NFL, man. Yes, I, I, I this is for me, it felt like the longest week since I guess. Uh, the last playoff game in San Francisco. And in that one, we had to travel all the way to Santa Clara to to get there. So it's, it's just felt like there's been so much stuff and it's been so fun to talk about with everybody. So let's take a break and come back, talk with Steve Pelizzolo about what is next in the NFL world and for the Minnesota Vikings. We'll do that when we return here on Purple Daily. If you're set to spend more time at home than you are in your car over the next several days, you can still listen to Score North three different ways. The free Score North app on your phone or tablet scorenorth.com or just by saying Alexa open score north TCL is a proud sponsor of the score north studios TCL America's fastest growing TV brand it's purple daily Prescott launching one the whole of guys in the end zone. It's going to be intercepted to end the game. J-Rod Curse puts an exclamation point on a big Minnesota road win. New Detroit Lion J-Rod Curse there, which, you know, Vikings fan mentality always goes this way. That The first comment in my Twitter was, can't wait for his pick six next year against the Vikings or two. Home and uh, away. Uh, now we bring into the show here Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin, a right-handed pitcher and senior analyst for Pro Football Focus, Steve Palazzolo. What's up, Steve? Hey, how we doing? I appreciate the right-handed pitcher, uh, you know, on the intro. That's great. Well, you know, I mean, uh, minor league pitcher. I used to do minor league play-by-play, and I have a great deal of respect for anybody who went through that grind because I don't think people <laughs> yeah. realize a how good the talent is that that even doesn't make it to the major leagues, and also um, the food that minor leaguers are forced to eat. Were you uh, <laughs> just a, a big PB and J guy? 
oh man, you eat 144 peanut butter sandwiches <laughs> in 150 days. So yeah, I didn't get back to eating until eating it until about two days ago or two years ago. Yeah, so you are well prepared for whatever is to come for us for uh, coronavirus. Because if you could go through that, you could go through anything. <laughs> yes. Um, minor league baseball prepared us yep <laughs> yes exactly i saw just to, to get completely off uh, on this uh i saw a minor leaguer tweet like if you can bring you know just gift cards for some of the players to like starbucks or something they would be uh, your biggest fan or whatever um you know because baseball just refuses to pay minor leaguers but anyway that's for yeah. another conversation so um let's talk about todd Gurley and running back contracts Courtney Cronin and I both feel like the Vikings paying Delvin Cook feels inevitable, but they would really have to be social distancing to not notice what's happened just this offseason with running backs. So is it just flat across the board? Do not pay them in your mind. Don't do it. Don't ever do it. There's no exceptions. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, it pretty much is. I mean, there's other guys at PFF that are like, really, don't ever do it. I'm of the mind that if you get an Austin Eckler type of contract, which is still pretty reasonable for a guy that at least wins in the right areas, right? He, you know, he's really good in space. You can line him up at wide receiver and have him run uh, wide receiver type routes. So if you get a really cheap Austin Eckler type of deal, I'm okay with it. But any of these Todd Gurley, Zeke Elliott, you know, type of deals, Le'Veon Bell, there's not, there's no history of any of these things working out, you know. So I, I just think, I think the NFL is catching on, but most of the NFL is catching on. There's still a few teams maybe lagging behind. Steve, I want to jump back further. Like the resurgence that we saw, what was it starting in 2018? David Johnson gets his extension, Todd Gurley gets his extension, and then that set up obviously where we saw Le'Veon Bell go last year and the type of deal that he got with the Jets and Zeke Elliott. Why was there the belief, in your pers- from your perspective, that the resurgence of these contracts, it was the right time to be paying running backs when the league had been trending away from that? And all of a sudden, then we see these contracts pop up. Like, What, was, what were these teams expecting? I, I think there was like some false equivalence going on. I, I think you know, over a couple-year period, you saw Zeke Elliott get drafted fourth overall and the Cowboys go to the playoffs, with mostly because of Dak and you know his emergence in the past game, but that's what happened, right? And then you see the 2017 Jaguars. They draft Leonard Fournette fourth overall, and they go to the AFC Championship. I think there was a lot of false equivalence going on. And then, you know, as a college football fan a few years ago, the Leonard Fournette-Dalvin Cook class and all of these running backs that have come out, it, it was like the, it was essentially going to be the year of the running back when all of those guys were coming into the uh, into the NFL, it, it felt like a resurgence because there was so much talent, I think, at the running back position uh, over the last couple of years. And then the disconnect is that talent doesn't necessarily lead to production. That's this whole concept of running backs should never get paid. It's that their production is so dependent on four to five things, you know, besides their talent. But, you know, I think teams got caught up in, in you know, the talented players and, and overpaid for a couple of years. Well, and there's no question on Delvin Cook's side that he is outrageously talented um, now. But I, I wonder how much it does help a quarterback to have a really, really good running back. Because you mentioned Dak Prescott when they go 13-3. and three, um, Zeke Elliott is obviously a great player, and it's easy to connect those two and say, well, he had a running game, so that made life easier on him. And if you watch Vikings games back, you do see teams like Philadelphia had three linebackers in the whole game, which you know that they didn't want to do, but you know they're going against the bigger personnel, and they're charging at Delvin Cook and leaving wide open space 
for Kirk Cousins to throw the ball. So on tape, it would seem that they were putting a lot of focus on Delvin Cook. But what did the numbers say about how much a great running back can impact a quarterback? Yeah, so I think there's there might be a transitional period. Let me get, I'll get to that in a second. Look, overall, the numbers say it doesn't matter who's back there. It doesn't matter. Uh, how often you run the ball, how, how often you set up play action, it's always pretty much going to work. But I do, I talk to a lot of people around the league, and I do know there are a lot of systems so dependent on calling the right play at the right time, yeah. which means you have to make sure that the defense is in the look that you want them to be in. And that's you know how the Rams are working. That's how the 49ers are working. The, the Vikings have elements of that, right? And so you have to have some semblance of a running threat and so you don't and and i think teams are scared of getting so one-dimensional that they lose that right that they lose the ability to predict what the defense is going to do so from that perspective there's something to it and then the other perspective i think there will be this transitional time where as long as the defense is still thinking that dalvin cook is more important to stop or think that zeke elliott's important to stop then you can dictate their actions by putting him back there so um even though you know on a spreadsheet the running back doesn't matter at all. As long as the NFL and defenses are accounting for the running back differently, there is probably a little bit of value there, but it's also probably negligible compared to the price you would have to pay to keep one of those guys around. So the last two days we saw two Vikings cornerbacks depart in free agency and end up on the same team. Cincinnati Bengals certainly have money to blow, and that's what they are doing. They signed Trey Waynes to a very, very lucrative deal, and they got Mackenzie Alexander on the cheap. Um, I was curious about this because I honestly don't know the answer to this. Since Paul Gunther left, uh, he's with the Raiders now. You can't say, well, they went there, the Bengals are the right fit because they'd be in the exact same defense that they play here in Minnesota. But are there shades of Zimmer's defense? Like, why, why was why is this the right fit for both of those guys who have been under Mike Zimmer their entire career? Like, are they going to be in a similar type system, even though it's a new staff in Cincinnati? I think it's probably less about the system and more about the, the people making decisions from Mike Brown all the way down. You know, you're looking at, uh, you know, this familiarity with Zimmer within the organization, familiarity with how he coaches players, the types of players that he likes. It's kind of like this old adage I learned about um, uh, Chipotle a couple of years ago. It was, if you ever wanted to start a Chipotle, if you ever wanted to franchise, find a Starbucks because they do their research based off of where Starbucks is because they think they have the same customer base. So I think there's <laughs> elements of that to, I know that Mike Zimmer coaches this good, hard-nosed football player, whatever it is that I like, therefore, uh, you know, he's good enough for us with the Bengals. I think it's more about that and less about the, the scheme fit exactly. Talking with Steve Palazzolo from uh, Pro Football Focus, their senior analyst, also does a great PFF NFL show podcast with Sam Monson. Um, so, all right, let's talk about this secondary a little bit more for the Vikings. So they, they lose Alexander, which is a big loss and a great signing, I think, for the Bengals in terms of bang for your buck. And uh, the Vikings have basically no defensive players, and especially in the secondary, if they're forced to trade Anthony Harris because of his salary cap hit, how hard in your mind, Steve, would that be able to replace um, quickly? And then if they took a long-term view, how much different might it work out for them? So if they try to sign free agents on the cheap versus drafting them and developing them? I mean, it definitely feels like they're in draft and development mode. I know uh, my friend Dr. Eric Eager would not be a big fan of the Anthony Harris trade. I think it's, it's tough to handle that many 
losses, you know, all at once, right? So uh, Waynes wasn't great, but he was still, you know, one of their better guys out there. Mackenzie Alexander, as you said, good, valuable player. Uh, Anthony Harris has been sensational at safety, so uh, losing him as well would be an issue. And, I, I, you know, the, the, the Stephon Diggs trade opening up that extra first-round pick and everything, it, it almost forces their hands to draft multiple corners. I think that's going to be uh, the way that they go, and I think it's going to be this, you know, maybe we get worse before we get better uh, type of mentality. But it did feel like that was almost inevitable for the Vikings. And so I think the longer-term build is the way to go, but I also think that Anthony Harris uh, makes sense to kind of be a part of that too. So a little combination of drafting and you know trying to find those bargain-free agents with whatever's left. Well, the, the perception out there, Steve, at least from the Kirk Cousins extension and what they guaranteed him, you know, nearly another fully guaranteed deal with the extension on Monday, is that this team still, at least the perception's out there, that they're in win-now mode. It, it it's hard given some of the departures that we've seen. You know, the defense getting picked apart in free agency. You know, digs whether you love the trade or you hate the trade. And the haul that they got back is something you can't ignore. But I'm going to ask you the question that I've been asking everybody on air this week. What what mode do you think that they're in? Like realistically, I mean, what they perceive might be different from what's reality. What is reality for this team right now? Can they still be in win now mode despite all of the holes that they have and you know the ways that at least it looks like they're going to fix it through the draft? Yeah, I think they. So both you could definitely you could do both. It's just riskier. I think the way that they're going right now, right? So from a long term perspective, the idea of getting rid of higher priced players for draft picks and accumulating draft picks for the long term is the better play now the risky component is if you're trying to win now you pretty much just have to hit on the draft picks immediately you have to have one of those 2017 saints drafts where they bring in ryan ramchak and alvin kamara and marshawn Lattimore, marcus williams they bring in four legitimate starters uh, in one draft it doesn't have to be that good but you have to hit you know early uh, in the draft and hit on guys who aren't necessarily going to take two or three years to develop. So I think it can happen when you have a ton of draft capital. You can, losing stars isn't a huge deal, or losing productive players isn't a huge deal in the NFL. You just need to replace them. So it just puts pressure to hit in the draft, which is never a great place to be because the best draft strategy is, yes, drafting in volume and understanding you're going to miss you know, half of your picks, and, and over time you're going to be good. So. I think it just puts pressure on the short-term drafting. So I guess what you're also saying, Steve, is that signing Kirk Cousins to the extension that they signed him for, keeping him here through 2022, the cap hit this year is made more reasonable, but down the road not so much, um, that that's also risky if you're going to try to make moves to win right away and then also rebuild at the same time. If it doesn't work and you miss on some of those key draft picks, like it could be a 2015 draft where you get Kendricks and Diggs and Hunter, or could be 2016 where you get Laquan Treadwell and Mackenzie Alexander is the best player out of that draft. So if you miss with that and you have locked yourself into Kirk Cousins, that's where you enter the potential to be Cincinnati Bengals territory where they were competitive for five or six years and then were six and seven wins after that. Yeah, right. Much better example using an actual Vikings draft. Uh, The 2015 one, much better example there. Um, So I think with Cousins... they're hedging the same way I'm kind of hedging as to what their future is, right? It's almost like last year they said, hey, look, Kirk did uh, do some really nice things, right? He, you know, mm-hmm. he showed maybe he's a little bit better than we – not better than we expected, but he, he lived up to what we expected. He could elevate you know, our team maybe a little bit more 
than we expected. So they could say, look, he could be a part of the rebuild, so to speak, and maybe we could stumble into you know another playoff appearance and see what happens. But we also want him to be that guy in 2021 and 2022 with this new roster, uh, you know, to be the guy that you know is carrying this thing. So they could be looking at him as more of a he can carry us through rather than the complimentary piece. It's also just man. The NFL is tough when you got a Kirk Cousins at quarterback. Trying mm-hmm. to figure out, do I, how how much, do, how aggressive do I do I have to be to get a guy better than him, and how risky is it to get a guy worse than him? And I think when you're sitting there in that QB purgatory ish type of spot or mid tier quarterback type of spot, teams like you know the Vikings or like the Titans getting Tannehill, they lock him up and say, all right, we're gonna strap it up and go and see what we can do. Steve, what was your best pitch when you were a minor leaguer? Just a spotted fastball, which I didn't spot all that often. But if I had my splitter going, yeah, it was good. Splitter when the splitter was on, that was a good combination with the fastball. So you're like six nine. So were you like a straight over the top guy, and it was coming like right down on people, or were you like three quarters? No, I was I was a low three quarters, and then at my best, you know, I'd start to go really low sidearm and stuff, mix up arm angles, and try to make life type, tough on righties. You can never throw a breaking ball from down there, but I could throw. You know, low nineties with some movement from there. So, all right. Well, you got to do what you got to do to to mix things up. And if they're not banging trash <laughs> yeah. cans over there for what you're throwing, you're gonna be all right. So, uh, well, always great to uh, catch up with you, Steve. I implore people to listen to the PFF NFL show. Really, really good with you and Sam Monson. Um, so uh, we'll catch up with you again soon, Steve. Thanks. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Yep, for sure. Always a great guest, Steve Palazzolo. Um, so there's a lot to dive into there, but you just sent me a tweet. Um, I'm not surprised by this at all. So uh, Jordan Rodrigue, uh, the reporter from uh, Carolina, reporting that the Panthers and Cam Newton are having a hard time trying to trade him. Well, really? Shocking, right? I mean, a guy who basically hasn't played in a year and a half and every part of his body is in some way or another completely broken, and he wasn't a great thrower before. He had to be a great runner in order to be an MVP and get his team into the playoffs. You can't trade him, and he's paid a lot of money. I'm stunned, totally stunned. I mean, the way that the quarterback market of the guys who are out there that are left, it feels kind of bleak. I mean, we talk about him, Andy Dalton, um, who else am I forgetting here? Jameis Winston. Like, I know that we all think that Cam's going to end up in Los Angeles with the Chargers, uh, just given I think you can infer why that would be such a good fit, given some of their offensive line problems. He doesn't necessarily need a strong offensive line to play behind. You heard Anthony Lynn's comments this offseason about mobile quarterbacks and, and guys who aren't statues back there in the pocket. I mean, that fits what Cam is, but... A trade was always going to be hard to come by with a player like this, given you know some of the concerns. I mean, Carolina, the fact that they moved on from him is a giant concern. I think to, to I mean, you could say the rest of the you know thirty-one other teams. Obviously, not all thirty-one are interested in him, but that of course is going to give teams pause when they're looking at adding him. But I still think he is. Some of his best years are ahead of him at thirty years old. You think plus. so? And is he, yes, I. I hmm. I'm not saying that he's going to have another 10-year career, but I do think that where he's at right now, yes, he has some wear and tear on his body. But he has proven this offseason that he's been working out. He's, you know, as far as we know, until we see a failed physical, I think you have to give him the benefit of the doubt there. So this, to me, seems like they're just going to end up getting him. He's just going to end up getting released. But um, 
I mean, how can he not end up with the Chargers at this point, right? Like, what, where else? He's not going to. I don't think he's going to the Patriots. Uh, it seems like they may slow play this. They may opt to go into the draft and, and get one of the uh, quarterbacks that fall below Tua and Joe Burrow. But it, it, this is just a, a sad situation to see how this whole thing is coming to an end here for the Cam Newton era in Carolina. Okay, real quick news that we have to break in with. Sean Payton has coronavirus. Are you serious? I am dead serious. I just saw Adam Schefter's tweet. Wow. Okay, so are we shutting the league down now? I don't know. I don't know what to do. Well, this is, honestly... <laughs> just in general, this, I don't know what to do. I've just I been mean, keeping myself away from everyone. Yes, I know. I've been coronavirusing myself, or quarantining. I, I'm, I'm so brain dead. I'm quarantining myself, <laughs> or social distancing. I don't yes, have it. I what, just Whatever you call it. I'm in my apartment right now, and I have not left here, except I did go on a run this morning because I was going to go stir-crazy. I think that's uh, fine, right? being outside. Because I played basketball yesterday. Yeah, and nobody was outside because it's raining, and, and under normal circumstances, I would never go go outside and run on the greenway uh, in pneumonia-inducing weather, but I did. Now, this is this is big news because nobody in the NFL that we know of outside of Sean Payton has tested positive. This is the reason why the league sent out the memo of we don't want any visits going to, you know, guys coming in and out of the facility. We're not doing any free agent visits. They're going to have to get independent physicals, which, you know, is throwing a total wrench in this process. It's why teams have been like, Sources are saying we're signing so and so, which I think is some teams have handled it. I think the Rams with Ashawn Robinson handled that hilariously by having Robinson himself announce he's going there mm-hmm. um, with that great tweet. So be sure to check that out. They do really good stuff there with their social media team. But um, this is this is why coaches are not supposed to be in buildings right now. Like why a handful, and I mean a handful of people. At least within the Vikings organization, there's not that many people that are in TCO Performance Center. Really, the only essential personnel to getting these contracts done and being able to get these deals executed. It's you know a group of like five or six people who are deemed essential personnel. So I wonder now what's going to happen with the rest of the league. Like, do they go into panic mode? Do they try to? I mean, stuff is already shut down, so I don't really know what more they could do. You know, like the facilities yeah. are supposed to be shut down. So, yeah. So here's a question for you. And I feel like head is spinning. We have Tom Gurley. We have Cam Newton. We have Vikings things and everything else. But this is this is huge news that someone who's a, a major celebrity, I guess you could call it, or a major name in the NFL has coronavirus. Um, what are the chances that training camp is delayed, that the NFL season starts playing in front of no fans, that the NFL season starts late, and how would they do that, Um, I I guess? Because I started thinking about this today. There's no chance there's OTAs in minicamp, which have been so much fun for us in the past, watching when Brian O'Neill was catching touchdown passes at OTAs one time. Um, And when Kirk Cousins got frustrated and threw the ball into the road, that was in minicamp, I think. Um, and every year we report, you know, in minicamp, Anthony Barr has been rushing the passer more often. Um, <laughs> so I love those days. Those are some of my favorite. And those just have, to me, a 0% chance of happening, which sets the entire league back. Are they going to install offenses through Skype or something? I mean, I, I just feel like these coaches are going to be saying, we can't get on the field if we're not ready. Um, and even an accelerated training camp would be very difficult. I just um, started thinking about all the 
tests that are coming that are going to show us this is much worse than we ever dreamed it was because we hadn't been testing people. And I feel like we're not in the middle of this. We're still in the very beginning. And that means... Even if it gets cleared up throughout the summer, starting football on time seems hard. I can't see it starting on time. I I think that if I'm going to just say right now on March 19th, I don't think the season starts, whatever that second weekend or first weekend is in September. I could see, I don't know if we'll see a shortened season. I do think that they will delay it because, you know, with the new CBA, I think you run the risk, like, of, of, you know, just try to play the 16-game schedule. Like, let's not try to make this a bigger headache and say, well, they might shorten it and, and this, that, and the other thing. Delay it all together um, and then have it run into whatever month it has to run into. But the scope of this thing, Matthew, we still don't understand. I mean, yeah. cases are jumping by the thousands and doubling every single day. I mean, it's terrifying. And we do know that this is going to get worse before it gets better. Um but it, this is kind of just like a, a shock to the system because NFL teams haven't been meeting. They haven't been in the facility. I mean, obviously, they're nowhere even close right now to off-season workouts beginning. I mean, that well, they are kind of close to at least the, for the teams that have new head coaches would have been getting in there in about two and a half weeks in April. But that's not happening. I would venture to guess that rookie minicamp and mandatory minicamp are not going to happen. Do we even start training camp at the end of the at the end of July? Like, what if that gets pushed into the middle of August? The NFL is going to have to adjust, and I think that they need to do a better job of getting out in front of this than they have with the draft and kind of saying, "Well, it's a, we're working on contingency plans, but we're not going to let you know what they are yet because we're still trying to do an in-person draft, just not have fans there." Like. There's billions of dollars at stake here, so mm-hmm. I think that that's going to enact a little bit more, or a little faster of a reaction from the NFL, but let's not blow it out of proportion right now. Like, <laughs> I'm not trying to be crass about this, but it is kind of annoying that everybody's like, Kevin Durant has coronavirus. <laughs> Kevin Durant is a human being. Just because he's a superstar and he's a super spreader because he's part of an NBA team doesn't mean it's any different or if you or I would get it. I mean, what did they estimate that 70% somewhere in that range, if not more, of of Americans were going to get this? Sean Payton, last I checked, is an American citizen. He is the same as you or I with the terms in terms of the exposure he probably has to this virus and the chance and the likelihood of getting it. So I just think that when you have celebrities and a name attached to the name attached to the virus, I don't want to keep calling it a disease, the virus, um, it puts it in a little bit more of a you know realistic light for people that wow they're susceptible to it just like we are. So I mean that's that's at least what I'm taking away from it. Yeah, I I do think that um, the NFL even needs to rethink having a draft where people even show up like at it's, all. I think it should at, just at this be rate FaceTime. does it not does it not feel like this is going to be a studio show yep, in um, yep. New York City. And I think that's and, fine. I mean, if yeah, you have just a couple of people on television, you have your Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay sitting more than six feet away from each other, and you can FaceTime interview with people who get drafted. It can still be a huge event, just not what it was before, and it can still go off on time, and that's not a bad idea. I just wonder if we get far down the road 
are we going to end up having, you know, maybe having training camp, but fans aren't allowed, and then maybe starting the season? Because I think that they would be the most willing to play games with no fans because the TV deals are so huge to them that even if you lose the ticket revenue, playing the games are important. And I was even thinking today, just because your whole life is coronavirus right now. Like, you just yeah. cannot do anything. You can't open social media, turn on the television. You can't walk by someone in the hallway with them being like, social distancing, like, it's just overwhelming. Um, but I, I couldn't help but think, what would be the minimum number of games the NFL would play? Like, 12, would they play? I think I, 12 is probably... That's exactly what I thought. Yep, 12. Yeah. So, I don't know. We'll see where this where this goes, and we'll just continue talking about cap space and trades and free agents until we figure it out, basically. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that is our... That's our new normal. Right. <laughs> Exactly. So let's take a break here. Uh, I've got a thought on Cam Newton. I have many thoughts on what Steve Palazzolo said about Todd Gurley and the running game. And I thought he brilliantly broke down what the Vikings thinking would be on re-signing Delvin Cook. So let's discuss when we return. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Score North wants to hear from and honor high school seniors who had their careers cut short due to the coronavirus outbreak. Send us a video to at Score North using the hashtag Minnesota Senior Night on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, or Facebook. Tell us your name, what sport you play, what school you play for, and what you'll miss the most. Follow at Score North on social media as we share your stories. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Minnesota sports fans, we know you're hunkering down, and we here at Score North are with you every step of the way through these unprecedented times. Got something to say, something to get off your chest. Leave us a mic drop message on the Score North app. You may even hear it played back on your favorite Score North show on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, or the free Score North mobile app over at scorenorth.com. Right now, Matthew Collar has his reaction to the Vikings signing Michael Pierce. You can also hear that reaction in the podcasted first segment of this show when we podcast it in just about half an hour's time here. Also over there, Collar has a list of 30 affordable remaining free agents for the Vikings should they look to sign more free agents through the rest of the free agency period. That's been your Score North Download. Now back to the final segment of the day of Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin back here on Purple Daily. Courtney, you wanted to say something about Sean Payton? Well, yeah. I mean, so in times of dire crisis, the first place I go to is Zolgad. Um, A hundred out of a hundred times. I mean, that's that's where I go to stop the panic, stop the insanity. And and I just texted Judd. I don't know if he's listening right now or if he's doing his hockey podcast or if he's you know, doing a lot of things that uh, Judd does. Panicking but, somewhere. Panicking, probably. But, I mean, I say that all with, you know, a little bit of jest there. But I, I just think that there's something, because I've gotten some reaction on Twitter, that I want to clarify this. Not minimizing at all what Sean Payton has. Just because he's a celebrity, though, he's a person just like you, just like me, just like Judd, and his celebrity status does not absolve him from being susceptible to coronavirus. Same thing with Kevin Durant. It sucks that they have it. I feel really badly for them because it sucks to be sick. But I I, I hope that these are the type of things that when, when people of notoriety, people with clout, people who have a following can come out and say, hey, I have it, it will... Make it feel more real to everybody else, and especially those who are not taking the measures and not being serious about this, that 
the only way we can curb this thing and get on to life as normal, have an NFL season on time possibly, is by staying home and, and following the guidelines and the health guidelines that are out there. So I'll get off my soapbox. We have football to talk about. But just one thing I wanted to clarify because, you know, we're all – going to be susceptible to it at one point or another if we already haven't been. So mm-hmm. just just be smart. And it sounds like he did not stay inside or socially distance, and that's how it ended up happening. Because at least since last Wednesday, when the NBA pulled players off court, I think we've all been in full, this is a real thing, everyone, type of mode. And uh, Ian Rappaport reported that he went out to a race or something on Saturday. So, I mean... He, you know, there's, I'm sure, uh, some people feel like, oh, that can't happen to me. I can't get it. And, uh, Sean Payton does. So hopefully it does help people take this thing seriously. And for sure, with one of the NFL's biggest names getting it and one of the NBA's biggest names getting it and so forth, I'm sure there's more to come. One of the biggest names in the world, Tom Hanks, has already had coronavirus. Like, get the picture. This thing is for sure real. Um, but let's get back to some football here because I, I want to talk about something you said about Cam Newton. That when you initially said getting Cam Newton might be a good idea for a team, I kind of went like, mm, is it? But I looked at his contract and his cap number for this year is $21 million. And he's a free agent after this year. So if you are a team that has uncertainty at your quarterback position, and salary cap space, what's the downside? There's almost none. I mean, you are taking a player on a one-year deal who does have the potential to get healthy and be a very good quarterback and win a lot of football games after he's healthy. I don't think that's going to happen, but it seems pretty low risk considering what his salary cap is. And if you are right now Los Angeles Chargers, considering you have, 30, you have 35 million in cap space, why wouldn't you do it? And considering that you're going to go into the season with Tyrod Taylor as mm-hmm. your quarterback, who has already failed in two different spots as a starting quarterback, those teams have moved on to other people. It would make a lot of sense. Plus, it's just interesting for your stadium. And I saw that uh, construction on the stadium is continuing to go forward. Uh, Maybe not the smartest thing, but they're going to do that in Los Angeles to be ready for this year. So you're opening a new stadium. He's a celebrity player. He's very, very popular. He's very, very fun to watch. Bring him into camp. Have him compete with Taylor. And there's a halfway decent chance, let's say it's 25%, that he's just as good as he was before he got hurt. Well, then you're only paying him $21 million and you could sign him to an extension or just let him go and, and have a good year and then draft somebody else. I, I think that actually does make a lot of sense. I did not realize his contract was that favorable. Yeah, I mean, he's he's at the end of it, too, as, as you mentioned. I mean, there's it doesn't feel like a very high-risk situation with Cam Newton. I mean, yeah, we don't know how healthy he is. Um, you can only go off of what he has said and that he's feels like he's ready to go. I mean, I watched his Instagram the other day. He was working out. That's always a positive sign. Um, but he's going to end up somewhere. Like, I was trying to debate this in my mind, all right, of the remaining three, what's your hierarchy? I think Cam Newton goes to the top above Andy Dalton, and I put Jameis third. Yeah, uh, so this was an interesting conversation about Andy Dalton, and um, I'm just I'm pulling it up now because I texted it to you earlier, but I want to get the list exactly right. Dan Orlovsky made his list of quarterbacks to replace Tom Brady, and it's not a super thrilling list, to tell you the truth. Uh, he had as his five Jake Fromm in the draft, 
Andy Dalton, their guy who's the backup, Jared Stidham now, Josh mm-hmm. Rosen, and Jacoby Brissett. Um, of those options, Andy Dalton probably gets you the closest to getting back into the playoffs, but I'm not sure that you even want to do that if you're the Patriots. Josh Rosen does make a lot of sense. I mean, he's he's always going to be bouncing around until he finds the fit. Like, why why not? I mean, for for the salary cap situation that they're in, for the for the roster that they do have, they still have a very good defense. It's not like their defense got you know decimated by free agents leaving and all of that. Like other teams, currently like the one that we cover, um, they they're still in a good position. I think to be a very competitive team. Now, certainly, they need to go out and get more weapons on offense, which is the thing that they tried at least to do. They probably had had some higher risk moves last year that just didn't pan out, i.e. Josh Gordon and Antonio Brown maybe make yeah. different moves this S- offseason. Sanu didn't work out either. They traded no, a second round pick. But he also wasn't, I mean, would you call that a high-risk move? I mean, at that point, it was like throw anything at the wall and yeah. see if it could yep. stick because of that point of the season. But, you know, they, they have the flexibility to do it. Um, I just wonder, are they going to try to slow play this? Like, are they going to try and just see how the next month pans out, see what it looks like when we get to the draft? Like, how how does this work for them? Because their position that they draft right now, there might be a late first-round quarterback available, or you might just dip into at least a pool that you think would be second-rounders because you won't be picking again, um, and where they're slated. Um, you know, uh, I don't know the exact position. I just know it's a top was top 20 picks somewhere in there. Um, they should be fine to, to get, if you want to go with Jake Fromm potentially, you know, maybe, maybe he's the fit there. But I do think that the way that the free agent quarterback market has played out right now, um, it really tells you how people, how teams feel about everybody outside of Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa. Yep, they, yep. There's so much uncertainty with this quarterback class. Um and I honestly was not sure it was going to play out this way. I still I felt like there were four that were definite first rounders, and everybody was pretty much in the same boat on. But now I'm not sure. No, I think it's only two, and then everybody else, and then then we'll see. I'm not convinced that the NFL thinks that uh, Jordan Love or Justin Herbert are really that great of prospects. That they're kind of long shot second rounders. And this reminds me of a few years ago when Jimmy Clausen was hyped up as a first overall pick. Clausen's going to go in the top five, no question. And he ends up going in the second round because the hype just did not match what the production was, and the NFL just repeatedly passed on him. Um, if you're the Patriots, I have a really tough time seeing Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick decide to tank, especially when the AFC East is really not it's that winnable. strong. Yeah, it is winnable. It's winnable this year, even with all the upgrades that Buffalo made in the last like 72 hours. But but the smart play there might be to do everything for the future. So you keep Stidham and see if he's any good. You trade for Josh Rosen, see if he's any good. You draft Jake Fromm in the second round, or you draft whatever guy drops in the second round, which is the same area where they got uh, Jimmy Garoppolo once upon a time. But you don't spend necessarily your first-round pick on a quarterback, and then you just develop these guys and, and see who kind of rises to the top. Remember Seattle a few years ago, now going back quite some ways, but when they drafted Russell Wilson... 
they were just throwing everything at the wall to see if something stuck. They had gone out and paid Matt Flynn a bunch of money based on one, I think it was week 17 game where he went absolutely crazy um, for the Green Bay Packers. And, you know, then they draft the third round quarterback and it hit and it's worked out incredibly well for them. So if you're the Patriots, you probably want to take the same approach. But that is with a little more of a long view as opposed to getting someone like Cam Newton. Cam Newton and Bill Belichick together. That would be a pair. Yeah. Well, do you think it wouldn't work just because of how outspoken Cam has been and how, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I I honestly don't have any idea how that relationship would work. I mean, for somebody to work with somebody for 20 years and then have to, you know, change up his approach or at least change, you know, Bill Belichick has had players come in and out. He's usually cut them before the, before, you know, a year too soon, but it's not like he hasn't, you know, dealt with a lot of personalities before, but the quarterback situ- quarterback position is so different. Like, I, I'm curious how much of you have to work with Belichick. Are you going to jive with each other? How much of that plays into the overall fit versus the talent right. that you might have? Because Cam is damn talented. Um, I just, I, I don't know how that would play into it. One name that I think you brought up, but I wanted to touch on because I just pulled up the numbers and before I forget would be Jacoby Brissett. Yeah. Like, it doesn't feel like that one's likely because they've, right now they've got around 5 million, I think, in cap space. And, you know, his, I looked up his cap hit with Indianapolis and I'm sure there's ways that you can work around it, but it's 21.375 million. And he's not making... I mean, he's got a $6 million base salary, and he's got a $6.5 million proration and a $9 million roster bonus. So, I mean, that's that's how they hid all this money, that they were able to separate it that way. He might be too expensive, but he was a Patriot at one point. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it would make sense if you were thinking, hey, we still have a window we want to operate in right now if we don't draft for the future because we like Jarrett Stidham because he just got him. Um, may- maybe he is the next... You know the the next franchise quarterback for them, but the Brissett thing, I think that's going to be an interesting argument if they could afford him. It just honestly, it doesn't feel like they can. If you have the choice between one year of Cam Newton where you're not locked in, or trading for safe Jacoby Brissett, who's just not very good, I'd love to have Jacoby Brissett as a backup, and he's a guy that. In the year 2031, we're going to be like, yeah, Jacoby Brissett, man, he's still around. That guy's had a long career as a backup. Um, and maybe he wins 10 games for somebody randomly at some point. But I don't see him as a legitimate starting option after playing for a really great team in Indianapolis last year and only getting seven wins and really showing that they had to run the ball all the time with him because they thought he was very limited. So I, I, I'm having a tough time thinking that the Patriots would go forward with him. With Cam, Belichick is kind of the king of handling big personalities and, yeah, and I mean, taking he's, shots. He's, He's he's allowed them to come into his locker room, and if they don't fall in line quickly, they get cut. Like Antonio Brown, who obviously had other baggage, but you know you're right about that. Like it's not like he can't handle big name players. I mean, they just have to buy into the Patriot way. Right, exactly. And uh, I don't know. We'll see. But I think that would actually be a good option for them because tanking just doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense for the New England Patriots. Let's circle back to the Delvin Cook conversation with Todd Gurley getting cut today. I mean, that would seem, if you're the Vikings and you're on the phone with Cook and his representation just about to sign the contract and hold it up on Skype or something, um, are, if you're the Vikings, are you going, uh, wait, just one second. We just uh, let's take another look at that real quick. 
Or do you just go forward? Because I think Steve Palazzolo earlier on our show, and if you missed it, you can get it wherever you download your podcast or at scorenorth.com. Uh, I thought he really, really well laid out the impact of running backs who are great and scary and how much they affect the way defenses play. And I did a film piece on this earlier this year, especially the Eagles game, where they were flat out terrified of Delvin Cook. And all the Vikings did was ran play action, play action, play action, and threw the ball down the field and had so much success because they had three linebackers in the whole game. They were just diving at Delvin Cook every time they went to hand him the ball. And even though Delvin didn't have a great day, the amount of attention he drew and the way that it set up the defense to have a disadvantage with three linebackers in, that was really valuable for them. And even if Delvin produces at just an average Delvin Cook level, there is something to that impact that he can have. Yeah, and and I mean... If you already signed, like, think about the optics here. You believe, as a franchise, that you're still in win-now mode. You need two pieces, particularly on offense. You need a quarterback, and you need what's making the engine, or what's powering your team, the engine of your offense. That's Dalvin Cook. You cannot risk him heading towards a holdout this year um, if you don't extend him. And give him the type of deal that he wants. I mean, I honestly think he's got good leverage here. Because the Vikings can't win without him right now. And they already have a lot of other needs that they have to handle in the draft. And, you know, could you turn the offense over to Alexander Madison? Sure. But are you, where are you going to find the num- the other guy that you're going to draft to be Madison's backup? Like, you know, consider those things when you're thinking about the value of Dalvin Cook, what he presents, what he brings to the table, and what the situation is right now. Like, the Vikings need him to win games, and they can't risk not having him. Um, so I do think that the type of situation out there self-inflicted in a way because they gave Kirk the extension that they did um, gives Dalvin a little bit of leverage. But also on the other foot, to play devil's advocate here, you can look at the running back contracts, which is no secret. I mean, teams have been, you know, we've talked about how teams may view Gurley's deal, how they might view David Johnson's deal, unless you're the Houston Texans, of course, um, and and Le'Veon Bell. I mean, those all set you up to be like, absolutely not. Why would we do that? But, in this climate, I feel like Dalvin's got more leverage. I mean, mm-hmm. especially this week, and it wasn't even anything to do with a running back. It was to deal. It had to do with what his team did with their quarterback. Right. You can't be without your two most valuable offensive players from 2019 going forward. And that was another thought that came through my mind was if the Vikings decide all of a sudden that they're going to play hardball, because my inclination was that they were not going to necessarily that they wanted to resign Delvin and Rick Spielman made it pretty clear at the combine that they want to keep their own star players and things like that Um, but if they suddenly had a change of heart on this which again I don't expect they just signed a nose tackle for 27 million like this team loves running and stopping the run Um, but let's say they do and the front office says sorry Zim your running back just wants too much money there isn't a whole lot I can do for you here because we can't afford it. Um, how many games do the Vikings win differently if it is Alexander Madison, Mike Boone, and free agent running back X as opposed to having Delvin Cook for, let's say, 14 games? And we lost Courtney again on the connection, so we'll get her back uh, to finish up the show here. And if we don't, that's okay. We've only got a few minutes left before Mackie and Judd Rami are coming in. But it is hard to... Jonathan, when I present a question and Courtney's connection drops off, coronavirus has struck me. 
I have now been impacted. <laughs> Apparently she has to power down and turn it back on, so oh, only, it's that, gonna take a little bit. That's okay. Well we'll just um we'll just let it let it go then for today because that was uh a good time and our connection worked with her perfectly for ninety percent of it. Yeah. But uh do you want to answer my question, Jonathan? The difference in win total for the Vikings, if it's Alexander Madison, Mike Boone, free agent running back X, I don't know who, just a running back who right. can play and has some experience. I'll get you a name here at some <laughs> point. Um, I didn't even look at free agent running backs for the Vikings this year, so I honestly don't know who they have. Well, we weren't um, expected to look at them. Oh, exactly. So how many games do they win differently if Delvin is in for 2020 or if Delvin is holding out? I think there's probably at least a two-game win difference. I think he provides enough that you would want him in there because he's so versatile. You can use him in different ways, but... I mean, I don't think it's a—it's a very big difference. I don't think it's three or four games, but I think maybe one or two. Okay, Courtney, are you back? Yes, I'm back. Did Sorry hear, about did that. Did you hear the question? No, but I think I can infer if he's—if he holds out, how many games could they win without him? Yep. Is that—is yep. that kind of along the line? That's well, the question. Well, I don't know. I mean, we know their opponents for next year. We don't know how the schedule is slated or which games are home or which not. But we know which games are home, which not, like where they fall on the schedule. <sighs> I don't want to say that every game's going to be like the Green Bay game last week 16 or whatever yeah. it was. But that was a sign to show you that, you know, the argument of, oh, just replace him. You can get another running back to do everything he does. Well, look at how much Alexander Madison struggled in that game. Yes, I know that they have really, two really good outside linebackers, two really good pass rushers. Like, that's, that's, that's obviously what is such a key to the success for their defense. But, you know... I think that you can, to to say how many games they'd lose, I'll go that route. How many games they'd lose without Dalvin? i say at least four, four or five, if they didn't have him. Four or five more? Wow. Uh, I'll, give you, I'll, I'll give you a stat that might change your mind on that. Um, this is pro football focus. They developed the wins above replacement statistic. Now, just to put this in context, um, Drew Brees, in terms of their win above replacement statistic for 2018 when he played the full year was worth about four extra wins 3.66 so if you have drew Brees compared to a backup you get four extra wins all right so that's like the the top of where you could be is about that uh derrick henry last year was worth 0.2 wins above replacement i I also haven't projected out my schedule yet I i haven't said what what the record I'm predicting it to be. I usually reserve that right to hold till April. Mm, um, disagree. Until schedule. You know no, what? Here's you, how you, you got to end the show. You did this to yourself. Oh, God. I, have I don't a, even. I no, don't even I made up a fake schedule. I made up a fake schedule yesterday. I am way ahead of you, and now you have uh, to pick it to end the show. You did this to yourself. Don't blame me, Jonathan. Music. Why do I get myself in these? Laundry. I know. people. We haven't even had you do a pie chart, so don't worry. I mean, someone did That's ask coming. for one on Tuesday. I know. We'll get we'll you. All the time we'll in get the you world. next week. Um, yeah, it sounds like it. All right, so I made up a fake Viking schedule, and I've been making people pick it already, and you walked right into this. So I have their opponents here. Again, this is not the real Viking schedule. It's just their opponents put in whatever order I decide. Okay. Week one, Courtney, you have no idea who's playing defense for the Vikings, if Delvin's coming back, who their receivers are, or anything, but right now... Let's find out how good you think they are. Week one, home against the Jacksonville Jaguars and Gardner Minshew. Did we lose her again? If she ducked off on purpose, I swear. Oh, my gosh. We lost her. She says she dropped off on purpose. I think this is on purpose. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I think the Vikings win that one. 
But yeah, wow. Really, Courtney? Nice timing. We're really, we're really going to drop off <laughs> as she's supposed to pick. I don't think that the the timing is a coincidence. Oh, that's definitely not a coincidence. This is for sure on purpose. Okay, we only have a couple minutes left. I'll sit here silently and wait for her to come back. <laughs> I'm texting her right now. Come back. I'll just leave the mic on. You so. have to pick this Viking schedule <laughs> that I made like up. A... It doesn't matter how little time we have left in the show. We've got like a minute and a half left. She's going to make it, and she's going to pick this I'm rapid here, I'm fire. Here, okay. I'm here. Rapid fire. Bring the music ah. back. This has got to happen before 3.55. Go quick, now. Home versus the Jaguars. Win. Away versus the Bears. Loss. Of course. Uh, home versus the Panthers and Teddy Bridgewater. Loss. Loss, okay. Uh, home versus the Packers. Again, fake schedule. Fake schedule. That's With real opponents. Two and two, all right. Away against the Lions. Loss. Wow, really? You're loving Matt Patricia. Uh, Away against the Colts. Hmm. Philip Rivers, your quarterback, I'm going to put that down as a win for them. Okay, they're three and three through six games. Home against the Falcons. Win. What if the Falcons wear red? Then it's a loss. Uh, Away against the Saints. Loss. All right, four and fourth at the half point. Uh, away against the Packers. Uh, I always pick them to split, so I guess since I already picked them to win, I'll put that as a loss. Okay, home against Dallas. Win. All right, uh, away against Tom Brady and the Bucks. Ooh, loss. Titans come here with Derrick Henry still on the team and Ryan Tannehill. Uh, win. All right. Away against the Texans, who have lots of great receivers. Win. Okay. Uh, away against Seattle. Loss. Seattle. They Seattle. Always, always. Home against the Lions. Win. All right. And home, home, against, home the against the Bears, right? the Bears to finish Win. the season, as always. So you think the Vikings right now are a 10, nine and, 10 and 6 football team? It's fair right now. Uh, probably, actually, it's a little generous. I, I was trying to go aim for 9-7, and seven, but as you know, math is not my strong suit, and I'm writing this down, hoping that I don't get disconnected in the midst of this. Very positive, so. Courtney Cronin, to end the show. Okay, all right. So people, hey, you're welcome, If people everybody. say you're negative, that's what you tell them. You pick them like, to go 10-6 and six without even knowing who's on the team. Yeah, during right. coronavirus, like, <laughs> I picked them to be a good team. So Okay, we got to wrap up. Courtney, great job today. Thank you for all of your time, and stay safe. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, guys. Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up next here. This has been Purple Daily. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts.